Hi, my name is Don Cuthbertson, and I work for Global News. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. First question I want to ask you. Um, actually, let me ask you this. You just came from yoga. I did. Yeah? Yes. Is this a daily thing that you're doing? I do try to go most days after work if I can. It's the way that I relax every day. Okay. That and running. That, okay. Yeah, I read somewhere that you like to run all over Toronto. I do. Yeah, where's your favorite place you've run in, in the city? That's really hard to say yeah? because I really got to know the city by running the streets of Toronto. Okay. On foot. And so much so that when I got a car recently within the last few months, yeah. I was trying to go down one-way streets that I was not allowed to drive down, but I've always been able to run down. You've always run down. So I would say the, the Don Valley Trail. Okay. It's a beautiful spot. I also love running on the Martin Goodman Trail, the MGT on the weekend because you Where can always see your friend. It's along the Lakeshore. Okay, that's the Lakeshore Trail. Yeah. Okay, okay. Nice. Um... And so today, do you work? So there's two global offices I know of. There's the one on Bloor. Yeah. And then there's one up Don Mills area. So that Bloor office has now been, those people who work there are down at Chorus Key on the waterfront. They have a beautiful office with a really okay. cool slide that I've never been down. Oh. I work up in Don Mills. Okay. Yes. So you're in my hood then. Okay. Okay. So you made it all the way down here then? You went to yoga I and then it was able? Oh, yeah. I'm okay. like chock full schedule wow. <laughs> I drive home as fast as I can and then I go to yoga and then I I came here nice to see you good good well thank you for coming thank you for having me you, no worries um, you do you've done a lot of work uh, in what I would consider sort of community newspapers uh, it's Sarnia Kingston Windsor that's correct yeah. um, and you, you sort of switched when you were before you, you know as you were working there you switched like online that's right so I graduated from Ryerson at, in 2004 and I had worked at the Sarnia Observer Sarnia is my hometown okay and then I went to the Kingston Whig Standard uh, for a couple of years and lived up in Kingston and then in 2007 I switched no, pardon me. In, in the summer of 2008, I, I switched over to online journalism. Yes, sure. as, as you were going through school at Ryerson, did you, you know, it's not so long ago. No. Did you know that things were changing? I had a, uh, well, when I was at Ryerson, there wasn't an online stream. Uh, they okay. brought that on a few years after I left. And in fact, now I don't believe that Ryerson even has any streams. Um, it At that time, I was pretty focused on newspapers. Okay. And online wasn't so much on my radar, but very quickly, the first few years after I graduated from school, it became apparent that online was where the growth was going to be. And mm -hmm. I joined it, uh, online journalism, in the summer of 2008, and I really haven't looked back. No, I love you haven't. It. Yeah. Yeah. Why journalism? What, what, was, what sort of attracted you to that? I knew pretty young that I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah? Yeah, I remember I made the decision actually in grade 11. Okay. But it was one that came quickly to me because I was always the one who raced my parents to the front door every day to grab the newspaper out of the really? out of the box to scan all the headlines and didn't always necessarily know what I was reading about, but mm -hmm. I guess I just had that natural curiosity and my mom always used to yell at me because she would find black fingerprints all over the house. Wow. From me having my paws all over the newspaper. So you so. consumed a lot of news yes. stories. Were you uh, creating stuff? Did you have, I don't know whether blogs back then, I can't even think. No. Um, no, there wasn't. <laughs> eh? Or then. if there was, it was 
um, probably MySpace or something like that. Um, but were, were you writing a lot? Were you journaling or anything of that nature? I was really interested in, in my latter years of high school in creative writing. Okay. I remember my OAC uh, teacher, OAC English, uh, creative writing. I can't remember the name it was called. Mr. Rook. He really... Um, in Sarnia. In Sarnia at Northern <laughs> Collegiate. He uh, really took... Um, he, he was a great teacher, one of those guys who just really pulled the creativity out of you. So mm-hmm. I knew from that age that I was interested in writing, and I'm sure if I brought out some of those stories that I wrote back then for my year in assignments, I would be horrified. Uh, and I don't, I, you know what, I haven't done any creative writing since. Really? As soon as I went to Ryerson and went to start a J school, yeah. it was all about interviewing people and telling real life stories. Yeah. So as, as you were at, at, at Ryerson Journalism and you had a sense that things were changing, what were you worried? Were you going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to this career that I really love and want to do? Absolutely. It's, you know, the journalism industry was already in a pretty, um, in, in transition actually during that time. And our university professors were pretty honest to us, even in first year, that was, was would have been my, would have been 2000 about how difficult it was to get a journalism job and a full-time journalism job so their advice was always be willing to move anywhere to go anywhere to do anything to and that's what kind of what I tell um, students and interns that come in through now and I've actually went back to teach at Ryerson which was mm-hmm. a real pleasure of mine um, and, it, and my advice is always to be really flexible and on that note I, I, I took their advice and after I graduated in 2004, I remember sending my resume to pretty much every uh, community and mid-size and big newspaper across the country, mm-hmm. even to Whitehorse. I, uh, I made a bit of a promise to myself when I was you know, filling out those huge manila envelopes and putting the postage on them where I basically blanketed every newspaper. And I said to myself, if I get, in, if I get a job at the Whitehorse Star, I have to take it because when else would you ever have such an amazing opportunity yeah. to work in a in a place like that? It wasn't meant to be. No, I messed, not yet. <laughs> no, I messed up the uh, the postage. No. Yes. No. <laughs> so I like made this fake promise to myself that wasn't meant to be because I couldn't do math and uh, which you know since seems to be a bit of a challenge for a lot of journalists. Is it extra but, to go to Whitehorse? Yeah, apparently it oh. is. <laughs> I thought there's like a national fee, an international fee. <laughs> I don't know. Oh it wasn't goodness. enough. Somehow no. I messed it up. So, yeah. Uh, Still got to check Whitehorse off my list one day. Were there, you know, as you were racing your parents to the door those mornings to get the newspaper, um, what stories did you gravitate to? Oh, that's a great question. I would say news. I've always been a okay. news girl at heart. Yeah. Um, I... I'm completely addicted to it. Okay. <laughs> so I, I've always been um, focused on the news, but also lifestyle um, type in travel as well. I've been a travel editor at a at a, a few places that I've worked as well as a freelance travel writer. So um, anything to do with sort of far off places, and I've been attracted to. Nice. Have you had a chance to travel a lot? I have. I've, I've had the pleasure of doing uh, a number of trips in different places around the world to write great stories about what you should do and what you should see while you're there. Nice, nice. I know you've done some stuff with um, uh, Journalists for Human Rights. That's right. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that a little bit later on. But, yeah, of um, course. That, that, that's, a, that's a great thing I want to talk about. Um, your first gig was uh, writing for the Ryerson paper. 
Was it, or were you the editor there? Or? Well, it was a part of our uh, schooling, that class okay. that you take toward the end, uh, yeah. just as you're about to go approach graduation. And yeah, I guess I was, was it the news editor at that time? Of I think I had a news type position at the Ryersonian back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, yeah. What is, what does a news editor do at a school newspaper? <laughs> uh, well, you try to uh, um, field uh, pitch ideas from the various writers that are there, and that could have anything to do with you know some sort of decision that the president of the university has made that students are upset about, whether it's tuition to uh, Ryerson at the time, what uh, some of the fun lighter pieces were as to how many hot dogs Ernie, the hot dog guy on the corner, um, <laughs> was selling that day, or something along those lines. It usually had to do with um, student life and uh, usually tuition fees. <laughs> That's what I really remember about that. <laughs> yes, I, at, at York, that was sort of the big thing. Mm-hmm. Tuition fees. Are they going to go up? What is it paying for? What did we like? What did we didn't? What, what didn't we like? And, were, were there any interesting stories that you remember um, that were pitched to you that you really uh, were excited to publish? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. It was like, that was 2004. That was a long time ago. I'm sorry. I guess my memory's not that great. It's not that so long ago. What, what were we working on? The big stories at the time. I don't know. Is it, well, I'm let me, sorry. Let me ask you this. Is it important um, or did you feel that it was valuable experience for you working at the, what is it called? The Ryersonian? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I would say, uh, for me anyway, uh, my first couple years at Ryerson when I was there, I kind of felt like I was going through the motions a bit. It, it hadn't really clicked. As much as I wanted to be a journalist and getting into Ryerson was a, a big deal for me and it was a huge celebration, the first couple of years were really tough. And I wasn't sure whether or not it was actually the right decision for me or, or, a big, or the best fit. And what ended up being sort of... The epiphany, I guess, for me um, as to whether or not I could actually do this was in third year. I, for the Christmas holidays, I went home to Sarnia, and I it was my first gig at the Sarnia Observer, mm-hmm. and it was uh, my first assignment was to write about Christmas trees and how Sarnians were choosing their Christmas trees that year and the controversy over whether to get a, a fresh one over a fake one. Really, and I wrote that first story, and uh, as silly as it sounds, I was hooked. I knew then and there, and actually, if, if you go back and uh, chat with my mentor, Anne Rahala, who's still a professor at Ryerson today, she said that she really noticed a turning point in who I was as a student, as I guess as a sort of a uh, cub uh, reporter as well. It was that, that was the experience, getting the real life experience. Yeah, nice. What, you, so you've done work at The Observer, mm-hmm. the Kingston Whig Standard. What does that even mean? It's Canada's oldest daily newspaper. Is it really? It is. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, you know what? I look back on my time working at the Whig Standard uh, with rose-colored glasses. There, that, Especially at that time, there were some fantastic journalists in the newsroom, and I learned a ton uh, from that. I, I was a weekend reporter, so I my shift was Wednesday to Saturday, mm-hmm. and every weekend something bizarre and crazy would happen and off we would fly in our company car with the um, myself as well as the photographer working that weekend and we covered crazy stuff mm-hmm. the city is full of great news yeah mm-hmm. well what is, is there a particular story that you remember fondly or 
or otherwise? A lot of them are sad. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> because tragedies seem to happen a lot uh, when I was working up there. Um, there was one in particular, that story. There was actually two uh, that really stick out to me. And, I, and, you know, to this day, I keep those clippings. And, and, you know, I actually, within the last year, I went back and I just had, you know, you have you, this big box of newspaper clippings that you're kind of proud of. And sure. they're getting yellow and torn and tattered. And you're like, oh, my gosh, these are going to disintegrate any second. I really need to do something about it um, to preserve them. So I, I photocopied them. And uh, so I was recently reminded of some of the stories um, one of them was about a young life science student at Kingston, and he was from Oktoks, and he wanted to be a doctor, and he had a house full of friends and a really bright f- uh, future. He wanted to be a doctor, and um, he was also into climbing, and on a, that day, I don't know if it was a weekend day or a weekday, but he decided to climb or scale one of the Queen's University buildings without any... Um, any equipment to protect mm-hmm. him in case he were to fall. I'm sure there's a, a word for that or a term for that. Anyway, he fell mm. and he died. And uh, that uh, that shattered his obviously his family and friends, but the Queen's community and sort of the wider community in that um, I was sent to interview a lot of his family members who were nothing but um, gracious in accepting me and being able to tell the story of this young man. And um, I spoke to the university chaplain, to his uncle, I believe it was, to all of his best buddies who he used to probably party with on the weekend. And um, that story left me with this really sad feeling that, you know, a a real tragedy of a life lost. Mm -hmm. As you were covering some of these sad stories, you said there was a lot of them in Kingston. There were. Did you ever think twice, like, is this really what you wanted to do? Like, does it affect you? It definitely affects me. Yeah. Often, especially being the weekend reporter, if, if, you know, there had been a fire or a car accident on the 401, you know, that stretch around Kingston is especially brutal because of those rock cuts or, or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. I was often doing that door knock or writing the tribute, um, to someone who had, uh, passed away. And, uh, I would say that, so it's, it's really onerous, right? You want to, you want to write those stories that, um, cause you know, the family is going to keep it forever mm-hmm. and you want to do right by them. Um, and so I think, yeah, there were probably, there was probably a stretch where this went on for quite some time. And I think I said to my city editor the following week, like, I need a break. <laughs> like, cause you're right. It, it is, you don't want it to become, um, Repetition. You don't want it to just mm-hmm. sort of become formulaic. These yeah. every single one of those that you write, you want them to to really stand out and um, really f- reflect on who that person was. What what's a what would be a break for you? Would it be just doing different things at the paper, or would it be like just literally taking a break? Yeah, just doing different assignments. Yeah. Um, another story that stuck out to me when I was working at the Kingston Week Standard is um, there was a. Uh, one weekend, he had another crazy story. These two young guys were out hunting, and they came across um, human remains, bones. Oh, wow. And uh, so they were all very excited about all this and um, couldn't believe what had happened. And, and in fact, right away, there was a, a list of missing persons that had been from that area, and uh, they were immediately ruled out who, who it was. But I went to their house to go and interview them, and it was, um, despite it being a bit of a grim discovery they were full of life and I got <laughs> they were just you know so quotable and 
um, had a really nice time getting to know them and sort of hearing their story about this hunting trip that turned into a big police investigation. Wow. Then, uh, probably not six months later, one of those young men was killed in a car accident on, I Ooh. believe, yeah, I, I won't say, I don't remember the road, but, and so that, uh, being called to that and finding out and then putting two and two together was really hard. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm That's... telling you really all super sad stories about my time as a, as a crime, a crime, covering crime in the weekends at the Wig Standard. There were a lot of good stories too, but let's talk, let's get, get let's get to a good story. Okay, I feel, <laughs> I feel we need I feel we need a good story. Yeah, I think you need a good. Do, story. Do we need to leave Kingston go to Windsor for for some good stories or? Uh, I can tell you a kind of an exciting celebrity ish story. Yeah, from sure. My time in Kingston. <laughs> so after I left the Wig, I had gone into hospital communications and I worked at uh, Kingston General Hospital for a short for a time, and that was a great gig too. Yeah. Um, but. During the time, do you remember when Skating with the Stars was on television? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you have any recollection about the one star, Lloyd Eisler, and his partner? Um, he was a big, gruff guy. No, Lloyd Eisler, Lloyd Eisler he? no, he's like a two-time old Canadian Olympian. No, that's yeah. wrong. He, I'm sure he's been milked. Anyway, yeah. there was a scandal in that story because he had... Um, started a relationship with Chrissy Swanson, who was a Skating with the Stars uh, partner. Okay. So, uh, you know, all the newspapers were all over it, and I had got a tip from a friend that the New York Post was looking for a story on this, because the one person who hadn't been interviewed in this uh, scandal yet was uh, Lloyd's first wife. Okay. And she lived just outside of Kingston. Mm -hmm. So... I took on the assignment and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to her house and do the door knock and see if she'll talk to me uh, for the New York Post. And that day was a crazy freezing rainstorm. Kingston was slammed by treacherous weather. And I remember driving my 2001 Toyota Corolla out to her house, not knowing where it was, and um, being able to find her house, arrived, no one was at the door. Um, Wow. But I waited. (laughs) Like a little stalker. Okay. And uh, uh, she actually came home. And she was obviously very wary of me. And that was completely understandable. But I was able to uh, convince her to tell her side of the story. And it ended up being this great huge spread in the New York Post. And that was sort of... uh, Look at you. International. Well, it was (laughs) my first and I think only uh, sort of celebrity gossip story that I've ever done. Um this is something that I don't think a lot of people know about me. Um, and the crazy way to bring this whole thing full circle is at the same time, it was the first year of ET Canada and a friend of mine, uh, who was working in public relations at the time called one of the producers at ET Canada and said, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, that story about the skating with the stars scandal. Uh-huh. Um, my friend actually wrote that story and I appeared on ET Canada to tell my side of it. And uh, it was obviously very nerve-wracking, but I had a ball doing it. And so when I started with Global last year, I sort of whispered in the ear of one of the video editors that, you know, 10-plus years ago, I was on ET Canada. Do you think you can dig up the footage for a laugh? And it was a laugh. It was extremely embarrassing. (laughs) But, but yeah, that's the story. Who interviewed you? Do you remember? Um. I'm trying to remember who interviewed me at the time. 
I can't remember right now. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And then you end up working there now. I know. That's yeah. fantastic how things come full circle. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts now of, of sort of these local newspapers? Is there... Um, like, I don't even know, is, is the Observer and, and the Whig Standard or, and, and the Windsor Star, are they still around? Oh, yeah. All okay. three of those newspapers are still around. Okay. I think that they have less reporters working for them. Okay. Um, but, yeah, they're absolutely still around. Yeah. And do they have, like, in your opinion, do they, is is there a future for sort of, you know, I guess, traditional news community newspapers anymore? Uh, you know I think there, that there probably is. Okay. Um, one thing that I've learned working for Global is that local news, um, people can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, whenever I hear stories about various newspapers closing down in communities like the Guelph Mercury last year or wherever, I, I think it's a real tragedy because mm-hmm. I look at to my parents, for example, who, you know, turn on the you know, open their newspaper or turn on their local news, but their local news is in Toronto and it's three hours away and very little is mentioned about Sarnia. Sure. And whenever it is, they literally cheer. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) whether it's good or bad, they're talking about us. Exactly. So yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure how to answer your question necessarily, but I will say that there is still a huge appetite for local news. Mm -hmm. And whenever that goes away, um, it's really unfortunate. Do you think people are getting their local news from different sources now? You know, whether whether it's Twitter, whether it's yeah. you know websites, local websites, or local bloggers. Yes, and I and um, there uh, some of the colleagues that I used to work with at the Sarnia Observer have, and this was a few years ago now. They've um, they got together and launched their own uh, news community newspaper. It's a weekly called the Sarnia Journal, and. Um, I read through it all the time, and I think they're doing an excellent job mm-hmm. telling local stories and local news. Yeah. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that we need – like, I don't know if, if newspapers necessarily is, is the, the venue uh, or the tool or the platform. But I think I, I think I agree with you that local news is important. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I see my 67-year-old dad watching YouTube, and he could do it for hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that really says to me, okay, yeah, it's – it's online. It's got to change, right? Yeah. Now, that's not to say, though, like, there's a real part of me that loves to actually hold a newspaper and to continue to get my fingers mm-hmm. inky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a romantic notion there, I think. Yes. Um, with, with newspapers. Um, and so that leads you to, to you going online. Yes. Um, I don't know. I think it was 2008. Yes. If, uh, if, the, if the online sleuthing of, of my investigative reporting staff was correct. Um, why, why did you move in that direction? Um, that's where the jobs were. Okay. <laughs> that's Simple honest answer. To God, true. Yeah. Uh, that's where the jobs were. And I was kind of, I saw the writing on the wall it's, and where the, the needle was sort of moving. And I was like, well, the jobs are there. Uh, I'm online and this is where I think things are going. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you can it's it's a it's a i mean yeah you did you did stints at huffington post aol microsoft yes uh what sort of work were you doing there so my first foray into online journalism was at microsoft working for msn.ca okay and i was a finance editor oh wow uh, assistant finance editor actually Mm -hmm. there's a bit of a funny story behind that like i said i was looking for a job yeah but you're a journalist not good at math and you're going into finance i know right it was (laughs) yeah so 
here's the story. So <laughs> I was able to uh, get myself a, a job as the assistant finance uh, editor at msn.ca and the person who hired me, a uh, great guy, he wanted me to start and he trained me for about five days and then he was like, actually, I'm going on vacation next week. You're on your own. <laughs> You're on your own in a beat like that I knew nothing about and had no business being in. Uh-huh. And so I panicked. <laughs> and, sure. And uh, I worked out a I, I worked out a little deal with my sister to kind of uh, survive that week or two that he was off. Uh, the the headlines would come across uh, the wires in the morning, and I would literally copy and paste them into an email. And send them to my sister Carrie, who is in the finance world, uh-huh. early in the morning, break a dawn, and be, and ask her which out of these is the most important story. <laughs> and she would respond to me, mm-hmm. and thank goodness because she saved my butt that week. Wow! Um, and you know, but very quickly though, I um, I grew to love the finance beat, and I learned a ton from it. And it was a really exciting year to be working on the finance beat because that's when the economy kind of collapsed and so all of a sudden yes that's right you know every day was just like extreme drama and watching the markets fall and and you know people losing their shirts and these huge companies just sort of implode and um i i became extremely interested in it and very comfortable quite quickly and Mm -hmm. the really cool thing about it is that by the time I, I switched out of that beat, I completely overhauled my personal finances, and it has that gig has put me in good stead financially ever since. Nice. So thank God for that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So you go you go from finance. Yeah. Um, did you do the same thing at? Um, I'm assuming the Huffington Post AOL thing was the same thing. Correct. Yeah. 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 You did, did you do the same thing over there? Yeah. So be, yes, and so before I uh, I left MSN, I did do a little stint on their homepage for a little bit, which okay. led to my gig at AOL HuffPost mm-hmm. um, with having that homepage exper- experience. So I did that for four-ish years at oh, AOL wow. HuffPost um, with little side gigs on the side. I, I also um, did. I was a travel editor uh, for a short period of time um, and kind of touched on the beauty of being a homepage editor is that you can dabble in every beat every day uh, right. because you're, you're, you're reading the finance and the sports and the news and the lifestyle and the travel and the tech and the you name it story in order to then present it on the homepage in a way that your readers would like to read it. So, so you're the one that decides what goes up when people come to a. HuffingtonPost.ca or whatever it is. Yeah, AOL.ca. Okay. And yeah, so I would choose the content that went on it. And being a homepage editor was uh, really cool in that I was able to really get to know the audience well. Hmm. And it became quite clear who they were and what they wanted. Yeah. So people ask me all the time, you know, how do you know what's going to do well? And it's just years of trial and error. Interesting. Yeah. I want to ask you this question. Um, you know, with with the the online world and online news and sort of what drives that, and maybe it's changed now uh, from when you were there. You know, you were looking at it from you know what are readers interested in. Um, to me, for, as an outsider, it seems it's changed to what's going to get us the most clicks that we could then sell. Yeah, for advertising. Right. Um, was that ever a thing when you were when you were with AOL and HuffPo? I think it 
that's a I, that is a question that is asked every day of every week of every year, uh-huh. and it um, my, the way that I look at it is we're in the news business to inform our readers mm-hmm. of the top top news that they need to. Uh, know every single day and what's going to inform them in their lives. Um, now we can also, so that's the, the number one priority, um, but we also like to provide them with some stuff that they could use as a bit of an escape or a bit of an outlet from the everyday news. Mm-hmm. And so that's more of your lifestyle type of content yeah. and news that you can use and the did you know and the, the reality check and the explainers of maybe a complex issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I think that that is a question that's faced our industry all the time, and and I'm all for a little bit of of of, of both. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, it's it seems it's slanted more towards, you know, what's going to drive us. Yes. From, from from an income perspective. Yeah. You know, and and so you've got the, um, you know, clickbait sort of articles or top ten reasons or, um, look what happened and you wouldn't believe what happens next. Those sort of clickbaits that sort of you know um online sources can then go and sell as advertising right yeah um but i think that the most important thing is to be able to recognize that and to try your best not to do that mm-hmm. i mean it, it's tempting sure is there pressure like from the the people that are bankrolling the platform to say um hey don we need more of this top 10 list sort of stuff I mean, I wouldn't say that that's something that I face on a day-to-day basis, no. Mm-hmm. I have, I think, in the past. I've, okay. I've definitely heard those types of conversations that go on. But the most important thing is to um, understand um, and to really sort of set the tone and to set the agenda that this is actually, no, we're news first. It depends on who you work for. I mean, if you're sure, working for sure. a strictly lifestyle uh, portal or whatever, yeah, then yeah, yeah, you yeah. can do those top 10 lists and I can't, can you believe that this happened? You know, <laughs> click here to find out what happens next, you know, those types of headlines. But, and that's why working for global has been so great because we're news first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you'll find, you'll, I mean, you won't find uh, headlines that like that to that extreme on our website because it's just we just don't do that sure sure um but you will find some top 10 lists or 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 whatever but Uh we always try to make sure there's a reason why that we're doing it and to um make sure that our audience is informed nice that's always the goal you had an opportunity to travel to kenya yes while you were with aol yes uh, with free the children tell me about that experience um free the children is an organization that was the official charity of choice for AOL. Okay. And uh, at the time, I was looking for opportunities to kind of do more and be more in my role there. And I decided that uh, I'd been to one of their Wii days and felt pretty inspired by yeah. their presenters. And our leader at the time had said that there was going to be a, um, an opportunity to possibly go over it to, to uh, we were going to adopt a village to raise $25,000 and then uh, a certain select number of staff would be able to go over to help raise a, uh, help build a school. We actually contributed to helping build a health clinic. Um, and so I actually ran a race in Hamilton cause I'm a runner I, and that's how I raised some money and did the, uh, around the Bay race. Okay. And then I was lucky to be selected to go. And it was, I mean, they say that you leave your heart in 
Africa, and that's definitely the case. Mm -hmm. um, with specifically with Kenya, I, I thought it, it's a beautiful country, and it was a great experience for me. Yeah, and it really allowed me to um, think about what else I wanted to do and to offer up as a journalist in order to contribute more. Yeah. So from that experience, I two years later I went to Tanzania mm -hmm. and. Uh, with a, my mentor from Ryerson and she was on sabbatical at the time and that was with journalists for human rights and we taught at uh, the University of Tumani in Dar es Salaam we were there for about six or seven weeks okay and that was an incredible experience as well how did you enjoy the traffic in Dar <laughs> it was crazy yeah <laughs> yeah it's a big city and uh, um, we got around by the tuk-tuks. Yeah, yeah. They call it something different there. Pajaj or something along the... I can't remember what okay. the exact name was. But we were... We uh, we were always getting... Uh, that was that was very fun and very exciting to uh, get around by the tuk-tuks. And uh -huh. they're always trying to charge us more, but we knew how sure. much it was going to be from... Because you're a foreigner. <laughs> a to B. Of course, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, it, it you know, on the first day, you're super timid and you'll pay them whatever, you know, just to get to where you want to be. And then as time goes on and the weeks go on, you're like, no, I know that it's this price. And <laughs> yeah. it was fun. All good fun. Tell me about Journalists for Human Rights. What, what does that organization do? They seek to educate um, journalists and uh, in different spots around the world. Mm -hmm. um, they actually have a, I believe, a. Um, they're focused on uh, educating journalists up in northern Canada as well, okay. um, but also around the world, uh, about how to teach on journalists, uh, sorry, on um, human rights issues. So when, when I was there, we went to the University of Tumani to these journalism students, and we taught them a bunch of different things, like copy editing and how to write clearly and okay. online and sort of like the basics, but we also held um, a seminar on, journal, on human rights issues. And we tried to really focus on human rights issues that were happening in Tanzania at the time. Okay. Um, and encourage, like, local journalists to cover these stories? Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So JHR is a great organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, that must have been great. We, in relationship to that, um, does does journalism have a role in democracy? You know, this question is is is, is coming up more and more as um, politicians um, in the Western world and, and probably all over the world. Um, continue to slam media um, as fake news if the coverage that they receive um, doesn't line up with you know the way that they'd like things to be covered or that they'd like things to be seen um, you know what are your thoughts on on the role of journalism um, on, on a more broader scale well I think the role as a journalist has never been more important than it is today um, you know obviously I see what um, types of news stories are out and the criticism that journalists receive and I think we just need to keep plugging through into mm -hmm. seeking to tell the truth no matter what yeah um, no matter what kind of discouragement comes we just need to keep keep digging keep telling those stories keep keep informing the public and um, how do you how do you how do you battle that though you know when 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 it's constantly being saying you're fake news you're fake news I know no one's called out global per yeah. se no but a lot of other but it must be big publications have yeah it must be frustrating like, do, do, is there sort of a 
uh, a kinship that you feel that it's not just an attack on on a certain publication or a certain channel, but on 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 newspaper or on news as a whole, on journalists as a whole. Like, how do you how do you fight back against that to 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 gain I guess to gain trust because there was also a study you know, maybe a month or so ago that came out that journalists or, or I don't know if it was news organizations are are, are one of the, some of the least trusted people yeah well, I think that I think that those stat results about journalists being the, among the least trusted have been around for decades and okay. I choose not to get angry of course I sympathize with some of my you know journalism colleagues that are anywhere that they feel like they're being attacked as being called fake news when that may or probably isn't necessarily the case mm-hmm. um, I choose not to get angry and to just keep put my head down and keep doing my job yeah that's the most important thing mm-hmm. to do do you think some of the criticism has been well-founded? Well, when you see fake news uh, websites popping up mm. every week, yeah. um, sure, I guess. But it, it, uh, it it's kind of ridiculous when you see a, a news organization that has you know credible journalists and are and sources being criticized just because someone doesn't necessarily like what's been written about them. I mean, I, I like to think that that readers can oversee that or see through it rather. Uh-huh. And, and I just sort of move on and, and dismiss it. So, uh, but I guess perhaps, you know, maybe others don't. I don't know. I was uh, speaking with a um, somebody from the National Observer, um, which is an online crowdfunded it might be or, or subscribe scrip- subscription based um news website um so bruce livesey i think is, uh, is how i pronounce his last name so i had him on here he was episode 68 and he was telling me that you know media needs to look at itself in the mirror sir. Yes. And, and, and again i'm just I'm paraphrasing here mm-hmm. um you know and one of the things that he cited was you know the financial crisis you know when news organizations just you know took it at face value all the information you know that the the banks and the financial institutions were feeding them um and he says it's things like that that you know the news is supposed to you know take a look at you know things like you know whether it's political power or financial power and hold it to account and and maybe the media as a whole generally didn't you know do that on behalf of consumers or the public you know your your thoughts on on you know something like that i think that uh there are instances that come up you know somewhat semi regularly that makes journalists sort of take stock and take a look at the mirror in mm-hmm. the mirror and and say you know are we doing this right um are we doing enough are we digging enough are we talking to the right people are we making sure that we're balanced are we um especially in a in a time that we're in where people it's just seems to be quite normal for people to feel very passionately about what's going on in the world and they're sort of like yin or yang about it mm. i think that the the most important thing that we can do as journalists is to you know every day sort of take a look at our coverage and the way that we're covering things and just in and take stock and, and really think about the way that we're doing it and making sure that um we're as taking remaining as objective as humanly possible in mm-hmm. a climate that, you know, it isn't doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. Interesting. And always setting, you know, always, you know, being aware of what our personal biases may be and, and, mm-hmm. and challenging those and questioning those. And most importantly, parking them at the door when you start your job. Okay. 
That's very interesting. That's very interesting because you want to sort of find the, I guess in, in air quotes, the truth, you know, rather than you know what is it that I like and what sort of story do I want to tell. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. It's like the fundamentals of journalism. Yeah. One on one. I don't know if I'd be a good journalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't be biased. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm going to ask you some questions. I might ask for some bias, but you know, you can tell me either or. But I, I want to get to, um, I guess, the gig you had before uh, getting to Global News, and that was with the Toronto Star. Yes. Yeah. That was a. A wild ride, seven months. Yeah, and you helped to launch the the tablet. Yes, publication. Correct. Uh, and and I remember, it was at least a year, if not two, that I heard that the star was coming out with this, based on, um, it was based on the model, like from what I was told of of was it the Gazette in Montreal, La Presse Plus, La Presse that mm -hmm. that was having success. Yes, with their tablet version, enormous success. And yeah. I kept on waiting, and I kept on waiting. And it finally came out. And from where I was sitting, it was like, yeah, I don't know if this is too late or not. But yeah, your, your thought, you know, tell me about your experience there first. Sure. So um, I joined the Toronto Star, I guess, in May of 2015. Mm -hmm. And uh, this whole tablet thing was of interest to me. I'd never been a part of a tablet edition of anything and I was quite curious about how it could all unfold did I know did I think you know at the time that it was probably mobile first <laughs> yes but I wanted to have the experience you know because you know, uh, La Presse had seen a, a lot of success with it and um, Star Touch is a is a fantastic uh, product. It's it's visually beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of repackaging and and stories that are uh, that that are written by Toronto fabulous Toronto Star writers into this beautiful template that people can consume on their tablets. Um, and I was really fortunate to work with a, a fantastic team of journalists there who were smart and innovative and were quite passionate about the product itself. Um, now, I, I left actually in December of 2015. Mm -hmm. um, so I was only there for a short period of time. Yeah. Did you leave? Were you pushed? Can you say? I, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I was offered a new job at Global, oh, so nice. I went. There you <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> I have this weird thing where um, whenever I, uh, this, is, this is bizarre, it's going to sound totally bizarre to you, but whenever I go to countries that start with the letter T, I am approached for new jobs. This happened to me when I was in, um, uh, well, maybe not countries, but but uh, places rather. Yeah. I, this happened to me when I was in Tanzania. This happened to me when I was in Tasmania. Uh, but yeah. And now so. at the Toronto. Star? No, no, I don't. <laughs> Working on. Tablets. Maybe, maybe if I go to Ta nah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um. Was it late? I think it was late because I I was hearing talk about, you know, tablet use and tablet purchases were were, were sliding. That's right. Demand was starting to go low, and I go, oh, is Toronto Star still going to come out with this? You know what? I, uh, to be honest, I haven't paid that close of attention since I left because, you know, my, my current job is kind of all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. But um, what's kind of interesting about tablet readers is that, uh, you know, when you look to our, our parents, say, you know, I mean, my parents, for example, are in their 60s, but it seems as though my friend's parents are loving their tablets and loving consuming their news on their tablets. Okay. Um, but for 
you know, people my age, I don't, I don't know too many that consume it. Uh, their news on their tablet, and I don't know what tablet sales are right now, but I, I've only heard sort of anecdotally that they're not yeah. growing. And I know they're giving them away. Right. I know that uh, I, I very rarely see a tablet on the TTC. Rarely, when yeah. When I'm commuting. Yeah. Um, I only really use my my tablet now to watch Netflix when I'm abroad. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I'm not a good case study. The, the, kid, the kids are using them in airplanes. You know, we just came back from a trip to Calgary and... All the kids had tablets. Yeah, well, on and the plane. you know, I just came back from a trip to Hawaii, and uh, they—that's well, not get... fair. You just went up with me there. Sorry, <laughs> that was Hawaii. That must have been amazing. It was crazy. Oh, not my. only that, but I got engaged. Congratulations! Yeah, look thank at you. that rock. Now oh. I see it. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is breaking news. Breaking news. Oh, you heard here first. No. Well, actually, my entire Facebook has heard it too. Ha- have they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Night. Well, congratulations Thank on uh, on Hawaii. So, from tablets to engagement, I'm sorry, well, I totally no. Took that's you fine. Off topic. Well, let's talk about this thing. Was it a surprise? It was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So tell tell me about. I know we've just met Don, but tell me <laughs> tell me about this. <laughs> well, I, I know your whole life now, but so I mean, how was this yeah. moment? What it was it was pretty crazy yeah? actually. Yeah. Um. So my fiance and I went to Hawaii, and uh-huh. it was a complete surprise. I had no idea that he was planning on doing it. And we were in Kauai, and we were on a hike um, around the Napoli coast up to this waterfall. It was an eight-mile hike. Oh, my. Uh, I thought I was going to die. Took you the whole day, I'm sure. It took six hours. That's not so bad for a hike of that we, long. We were really underprepared. We had very little water. Oh, no. Or food. Yeah. It was like 30 degrees. Oh, my goodness. And very little sunscreen. Just the two of you? It was just the two of us. I mean, there were a few other people on the trail, okay. but yeah. And, and then what happened? Well, um, we got we got up to the waterfall, and at that point, I was I was pretty tired and a bit hangry, and uh, <laughs> I had what little water that we had and yeah. a and a protein bar. Yeah. And uh, he, I said, well, look, you know, it took us three hours to get up here. We should probably head back down before it gets dark, yeah. <laughs> or we're really going to be lost and probably fall off the mountain. And, and are, are you starting? You know, you're hangry. Are you starting to like? Yes. Butt heads? No, 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 no. Okay. We weren't butting heads. All right. We were too polite for too that. Po- <laughs> <laughs> too typical Canadian. I think that, yeah, I'm sure that it was quite apparent by the look on my face, but after I ate, I was good. Like, almost immediately, I was I was Okay, good, good, good. Better again. And so, um, he's, I said, well, we should probably go. Uh-huh. We need to get down this, this uh, crazy mountain. And he said, okay, but I have one more surprise. And I was thinking in my head, like, more hiking? <laughs> Please no, and that's when he asked me to marry him. Oh my goodness! Yes, and you said yes right away, or did you just say give me food first and then I'll think about it? No, I said Nothing. yes right away. Yeah. You just wanted to get down the hill. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did he ask you again? Are you sure, Don? Like, <laughs> well, I didn't put the ring on right away. Like, I, I just said yes, and then I think I just went. I was stunned and stared at it, and then finally he like stood up and was like, "Well, you should probably put this on." <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, yes, 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 of course. <laughs> so, well, congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. Is he in news as well? No, he's a respiratory therapist. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. So he saves the world. Kind of, yeah. You report on it. That's right. That's, that's a nice balance. But the cool thing is that he's actually a news junkie, too, and entertained the idea of being a journalist when he was younger as well. Oh, wow. So I get to, we get to have great conversations. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. That is good. That's a good story. Um, 
you're, you, we were talking about tablets, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Sorry. Yeah. So where do we derail? That yeah. Conversation. So what was it? I do that. I do. do that's that. fine. That's make makes for good conversation. Um, what was it? It was late. In your opinion, was it late? The tablet. Um, I don't know. Probably. Like, yeah. I I think that it was a it was a great idea and a, mm-hmm. and a cool initiative that. Um, that they that that they undertook, and I think that there were sort of all the the best intentions in mind um, to make it to make it a success. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, prob- yes, I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah. It was probably. Too and what late. was again? What was your specific role there? I was the uh, lifestyle producer, so okay. I had a, a, a lovely team of. Um, editors who I worked with and I was also working with the lifestyle editor at the paper and so and her name is Mary Vallis she's a fabulous fabulous journalist and so her and I would work together on sort of the, the stories and the content that would appear in the tablet version of it and then um, I, had a, I had a team of editors and um, graphic designers who would make the content sing nice. and um, it was my job to just to make sure that everything was ready by deadline and help out my team as best as possible and uh yeah you're now the managing editor of globalnews.ca well it says feet there's feature it says managing editor for features yeah what does that mean well we have a few different we have a few different um sort of umbrellas there uh i i was the managing editor of features until quite recently i've taken over a mat leave okay um so and for that is to i'm overseeing the lifestyle and entertainment content for the for the next year while my colleague sarah kelsey is on her maternity leave um so that's what i'm doing okay and just started when i got back from hawaii last week you you, you're doing the mat leave for Sarah, because she was supposed to be here. Yes. I think. Oh, so you, everything that she was supposed to do, you're doing. Yes. I guess. <laughs> I'm basically her clown. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, wh- what does that role entail? The new one or the old one? I guess both. Let's talk about both. Okay. Um, so as the managing editor for features. Right. So uh, over the past year and a bit that I had been that I've been at Global, I was managing editor features. And so what I would do is work with my feature reporters uh, there was one in health. There we had data reporter, investigator reporters. Um, we would work on the on the the big stories that we wanted to tell, mm-hmm. and so it was me um, walking, helping them formulate their story ideas, and assisting them as they were gathering all of their interviews and elements, and then um, helping them make the content and the stories come to life and tell it in the best way possible to that would you know, really attract our, or make our readers feel the story and under, understand the story. Cool. I guess very similar to your new role now, but more focused on specific yes. lifestyle. And- right. So for the, for the feature stories, they were a lot more news, fo- they were news focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for my current gig now, I'm dealing primarily in lifestyle and entertainment. Okay. Uh, so you interviewed Chris, Christian Salowitz. Yeah, yeah. And so um, he's the our entertainment editor, and I've got a great team of uh, lifestyle and entertainment reporters okay. to work with every day. And, and every day, our job is to um, figure out what's going on in the world and the, under those two realms and to uh, tell their stories. Nice. Yeah. What advice would you give to aspiring journalists? So if someone came to you and said, Don, I want to I want to go to Ryerson. I want to study journalism. I really want to do this thing. You know, what would be the, one of the first things you tell that person? Well, I, I hate to repeat myself, but I, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier in our uh-huh. chat about uh, be willing to do anything and okay. to go anywhere. Yeah. 
um, because it is a tough it is a tough um, profession to get into and one that's even tougher to uh, keep a job in uh, so uh, be anything and everything and try it yeah. try it all I think I asked Bruce Lifesey that same question and he says no don't do I said what if my son came to you and he wanted to be and he said tell him no <laughs> it's, well, he said it's not a good time for us well you know what he he has a point yeah. and I you know if I had a child and they said to me you know I want to be a journalist there would be a little part of me that would you know really sort of hesitate and be like oh god I'm trying to be an accountant or... <laughs> pick something else <laughs> Don let's talk about women in media from the perspective of you know there's a lot of powerful men in in media you know whether it is you know news anchors or you know I saw something that came across my Twitter feed that you know I know it's not your place that you work but you know everyone at Sportsnet whether it's uh, on the radio or on TV seems to be all men um has it been difficult for you to navigate your way over the years um you know as a woman in media I've been really fortunate in my career to be able to grow and uh, to move into um, positions that I've been really keen on uh, over the years. And I'm pleased to say that a, a lot of the women that I really look up to at various media organizations are in senior positions, mm-hmm. um, including at Global. Um, there's a there's a, a handful of women that um, are making big decisions and telling really great stories. Yeah. I think there's. I think that's definitely a, a topic of interest. You know, I, I attended actually a seminar, um, kind of recently about uh, women in media and and the challenges that they different face. I'm not sure if it's entirely different from any other industry out there. Sure. Um, but I, you'll always find me uh, promoting my female colleagues and into doing bigger and better things and to being recognized for the amazing work that they do. Yeah, I know you're. An editor slash manager now. Yes. Um, you're not public facing as much, I'm guessing. Um, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. <laughs> um, you know, but I've, I've, I've seen, um, you know, women being attacked, whether it's on Twitter or in the comments section, you know, yes. whether it's, you know, comment, hey, you're a woman, how can you talk about sports? Or you're a woman, how can you talk about business? Or, you know, it's always that fallback of because you're a woman, you're not able to do something. Um, you know, whether, you know, in your earlier days in journalism, whether you've faced that attack or whether you've seen some of your, your colleagues or women in other organizations face that. Um, I see instances of that happening every single day. Yeah. Um, I have not, uh, in my own personal experience, um, faced that yet. I'm sure one day I probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have seen terrible cases of yeah. very talented journalists who are attacked on a daily basis and who have actually been forced from social media um, because they're um, of a story that they've written um, and they obviously get quite personal. It's a huge issue and um, not one that um, I'm not sure has has an immediate answer right away. Um, I think the most important thing uh, for women to do though is to not um, be intimidated by that and just keep doing the fantastic work that they do every single day. Do... But it's got to be a detriment, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's, like it's, it's uh, almost, you know, when, when I asked you earlier about, you know, covering all these sad stories and having that affect you, you know, because you're not a robot, you gosh, know, and, no. and when you're attacked as, you know, just because of your gender, you know, you're not, again, you're not a robot. It, it, it must affect, and, and what role or responsibility does, 
you know, does management have some sort of responsibility to ensure that, you know, whether it is making sure that if somebody needs time off or, or I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. It, or do men just have to stop being jerks? Well, I don't, well I, you know, it's, it's not just men who are doing this to women. It's women who are doing it to women too, I am sure. Um, so I guess two answers to that. Um you know, we have this sort of running joke at work, like never read the comments on your stories. But you know, yeah. people do, and sure. it's a, it's impossible not to. I'm guilty of it whenever I do get the opportunity to write, which is not that often. Um, and of course, it's going to get to you. Um, I do think that media organizations absolutely have a responsibility to do whatever they can and to come up with brand new solutions all the time to protect their staff from um, online harassment and mm-hmm. trolls on social media. Um, I. Uh, you'll notice that um, a lot of media org- organizations have moved to uh, turning off the mm-hmm. comments on their news stories for a variety yep. of reasons that sure. you know that don't even necessarily have to do with that. But um, yeah, we need to be able to equip our um, female and male staff uh, with the. Uh, right kind of information and knowledge that they need um, and protections to make sure that uh, any type of um, abuse that they're receiving on social media is dealt with swiftly. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.